back from our very long hiatus to No Smoke Talk, the Arkansas Times Rock Candy Podcast. Is that what we called it? It is. We're yeah. so glad to be back. Yeah. Omaya Jones. Yes, speaking. That's me and Stephanie Smittle. I'm here as well. Uh, welcome back. We want to just touch base on a few happenings in the arts and entertainment world, a lot of which are summarized on newsstands now. You can pick up the fall arts issue, all of uh, what you need to know or what we think you need to know between now and the end of the year about film, theater, art, dance, comedy, and music is in there. So check it out. And uh, I also want to just give a quick shout out to uh, a quick bit of arts and entertainment news, which is that Paul Bearer today released a cover of Pink Floyd's Run Like Hell. So if you're a Paul Bearer fan and you haven't found this, go go do so. And then finally, we just want to mark the passing of Cliff Fannin Baker, who uh, was the founder and really the heart and soul of the Arkansas Repertory Theater and even um, continued to be after he left and after he uh, moved to New York. He uh, died September 6th in New York City after suffering a brain hemorrhage. His husband, Guy Couch, was with him. He was, uh, uh, Baker was 70 years old. And so we just want to uh, memorialize him and mark his passing and uh, just uh, send out all our uh, sympathy and empathy to everybody in uh, the community theater scene and in the professional theater scene in Little Rock and and beyond who he touched undoubtedly. I know that as the rep continues to lift itself out of the financial difficulty that they've experienced over the last several years, that his spirit is very much a part of that recovery. So just want to want to make mention of that. Uh, Cliff Fannin Baker. And... We will be right back to talk about the next film in the Arkansas Times film series, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Candy Casey, very good. You're gonna do it again, Victoria. Stop smiling, it's not the high school play. Count. Oh, five, six, seven. All that oh. work. Stand on your right foot. Point your left toe. Drop that shoulder. All that pain. Oh, that's not too hard, is it? Oh boy, do I hate show business. All that Come glitter. Come with your jokes is what I need. Yo, you love show business. That's right, I love show business. All that love. I'll go either way. It's showtime, folks. All that jazz. We want to invite all our listeners to join us for the next film at the Arkansas Times Film Series. That is 7 p.m. this coming Tuesday at Riverdale 10 Cinema. That's right. Uh, And it's only $9. This month we're showing uh, Bob Fosse's 1979 Palm Dior winning film, All That Jazz, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. I first saw it maybe 12 years ago. I watched it again, actually, maybe about a week and a half ago. Uh, and And I'm kind of... I, there are a lot of things in this film that I forgot about, and I'm kind of curious as to how people are going to receive it today, sort of in the context of, like, Me Too and Time's Up, because Bob Fosse was not exactly unproblematic, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to say the least. Mm-hmm. The, and then there's this other thing, which is just the idea that he, at the time, was his cultural force uh, that I think has not been completely forgotten about today, but sort of his impact uh, or is, is somewhat uh, diminished or, like, people... 
aren't always necessarily aware that of who he was and what he did mm-hmm. and, and his accomplishments in dance and cinematography. I wonder if part of that has to do with the fact that so much of what we remember and know about him is style yeah. and that that style like that style changes. Yes. And so there have been times when Fosse's um Stu- which speaking of style wow this movie is yeah. so 1979 <laughs> yeah. yeah uh it's like on the verge of um stylistically it's like on the verge of 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 almost not camp it's kind of gritty it's kind of grimy you know it takes place in new york in the late 70s um and the like you know it's shot on film and it has like this grainy quality to it that i think makes it work the film he did after this was called star 80 which was based off the um Life and Death of the of a the model actress Dorothy Stratton, and it is sort of similar, but I think ha- coming out a few years later, it, it seems anachronistic. It doesn't quite mm-hmm. to me. It doesn't stylistically it doesn't hold up as well. So I will be watching this movie along with our viewers for the first time on Tuesday. But inspired by uh, your having mm-hmm. taken the deep dive into Bob Fosse's life, like you've been in going down this rabbit hole yeah. with him recently, right? Yes. I uh, I did come across um, something uh, sort sort of his history and his history of movies, and one thing that I was surprised about is how many movies he turned down after star 80. So he, he made star 80. Mm-hmm. Then afterward, he was approached many, many times mm-hmm. for uh, different projects and turned everything down as if, you know, um, I imagine that there was some part of him that thought like so, sort of similarly to the way his character in all that jazz does of like, this is, this is too much bullshit. I can't make anything <laughs> out of this. What do you expect yeah, me to do? Well, with- I, th- I think that he became increasingly selective with his projects. You know, one of the things that That's he was rumored to, well, like he was rumored to be working on, on a film adaptation of Chicago, but I know for a long time he was hesitant after. So his first, the first film he directed was called Sweet Charity, which was an ad- adapted from a play that he also directed on Broadway. And after that, he was hesitant to do anything f- on film that he had done on Broadway because he thought it was just retraining the same material over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had started to come around, I think, on adapting Chicago when he died in 1987. And I think it's also just like the process of directing was sort of grueling. You know, he was known for going sort of over budget. And this is depicted in the film, All That Jazz, which is semi-autobiographical, but like- Not over, hard to imagine yeah. that he went over budget if you see yeah. any scene from like, this film. It's over budget, like they shot, you know, over uh, in terms of days filming. Um, and it just seemed like it was such a, such a process that just was sort of tiring to him. And also- um, by the late eighties, or well, not the late eighties, but by the by the eighties, he'd had a stroke. Uh, he his body. There's an interview where he talks about how like sort of his mentally when he's talking about dancing, his mind is still nimble. His mind can do all the things, but his body can't keep up, mm-hmm. um, and he it's just tiring, you know, um, keeping up that pace for so long. So I watched a little bit of a Sweet Charity. I mm-hmm. specifically I watched you know uh, Big Spender, which is. A number that I know as a sort of, you know, a big sort of belter. People will often do it in auditions Mm -hmm. because it's, uh, it's, you know, you you have an opportunity to show in an audition a lot of personality with the piece. You have an opportunity to really wail. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was so surprised when I saw the way that it is on film because Mm -hmm. it is so different. Um, It is not happy. It 
it is it's got these elements of of um so there's so almost sort of just like a morbid aspect to the sexuality yeah. of these women they're you know sort of these slinky showgirls but uh nothing about them is um it's not so it's not necessarily uh, their sexuality isn't in a way of like a smile and a wink it's truly creepy yeah um there are little musical cues that are timed with like people um sort of wedging their arms behind their backs their expressions are incredibly deadpan um it's dark yes yeah uh and i encourage everybody to go onto youtube and maybe in the in the blog we can post a, a link to the yeah. video but i think when i was going down the rabbit hole of fossey i spent a lot of time on youtube watching um numbers from different movies out of context but um, so Sweet Charity is interesting because it's adapted from this Rodrigo Fellini film called um, Knights of Kiberia. Uh, he bought the rights for this and he adapted it into the musical for his wife on Broadway, uh, his third wife, Gwen Verdon. Um, and when they made the film adaptation, they were they requested that Shirley MacLaine, or they required that Shirley MacLaine play the lead role. Um, but, Gwen Verdon, he was in um, uh, Damn Yankees with, Yes, right? yeah. yes. Uh-huh. Um, and when they made the film, you know, Fosse had this, like, the, let me back up. So the, the, the unique thing about his choreography is that it's not just broad movements, but the very specific details. And what film allows you to do is choose where people are focused at all times. So like in the scene that you're talking about when they're, the arm is wedged behind the back and mm-hmm. she's sort of doing this thing where she, um, I don't know how you would describe it. It's like it. contortionist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that like that's sort of a it's a medium shot and you have three dancers in the frame so it kind of is able to like focus on them and you see mm-hmm. like the movement of her fingers as she you know is timing timed the with song. the drums mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he seems like he was like a natural fit for this medium of film because of his ability to uh, shoot and focus attention this way uh, which on Broadway you can do it but you know you can't tell everyone in the audience where they should be looking at any given mm-hmm. time. Uh, and there, there are actually there are a couple of other numbers from that movie that are actually really good. Like um, Sammy Davis Jr. is in that film. He has a number called Rhythm of Life. And he talks about how, like, you know, when, when you do it on stage, there, there are these cars in the number. And then when you do it on stage, you have, like, maybe, like, the suggestion of two or three cars with, like, some sort of headlights. But in the movie, you know, you have, like, these rows of cars. And, like, you have dozens of extra dancers. And you can just do more with film uh, because, like, the budgets are bigger and it's you know, you feel like you can go all out because it's forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie itself is not the best. Um, you know, it's his first film. It's kind of an awkward adaptation. But if you like, if you want the numbers, just like it's really, it's a really fun watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another thing that surprised me, I guess, uh, reading about Bob Fosse is the degree to which I was wrong about. Uh, his arc, right? Mm-hmm. So I always thought of him, like, I think a lot of people think of him for Cabaret in Chicago and um, maybe think of his work as a dancer early on in Pajama Game and think of him very much like Fred Astaire influenced. And I always, I knew that there was this sort of this period later in his life where things got like a little darker and twistier and, and more morbid and a lot more pathos. And I don't think I ever really understood how transparently his pathos was there from the beginning. Yeah. So, um, for example, I was surprised to find that he, like all, a lot of moves that he's known for mm-hmm. and that people would say like are his strength and his style, he developed because he thought they were a weakness. So 
dancers um, typically, like ballet dancers, will have what they call an excellent turnout, which is where mm-hmm. their toes are pointed out outward. And he said on a, a documentary on PBS uh, about the American musical, Broadway, the American musical, that he never had a good turnout. So he just started turning his toes in. Yeah. And that's considered like quintessentially Bob Fosse. He's also known for his work with hats. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. hats are very much part of his style. And he evidently just adapted that because he lost his hair pretty yeah he was balding so he wanted to cover that up the gloves he hated his hands Mm -hmm. so he wore gloves he said also that he never had really nice square shoulders the way um uh ballerinas and Mm -hmm. uh and other dancers sort of um would idealize and so that's where he developed the sort of slinky round shoulders that people consider part of his style it seems so intentional so it's so interesting and maybe inspiring to see that yeah. he took his weaknesses and all the things that he thought were really terrible about his style and turned them into like, like a yeah. whole career. Well, that's the, the picture that is painted in Sam Watson's book is, is of somebody who was always sort of insecure and thought that he was a fraud uh, and thought he was always just like on the verge of being found out as being a fraud. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it is, yeah, he, he it's interesting that he did lean into his weaknesses, um, but he, he obviously wasn't a fraud, at least in my opinion. He was very talented, uh, and he was very talented as a choreographer, even though he never learned any sort of formal dictation for how you actually write dance moves. So it's kind of this weird thing where how do you translate that to the next generation um, when there's no... He didn't he didn't write it down. When the link was him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And the answer is his wives, uh, his wives and girlfriends who mm. basically became the keepers of the style, so to speak. Like... When Vernon at one point was like the official sort of Bob Fosse historian, dance historian, mm-hmm. uh, and then now Ann Ranking uh, mm-hmm. um, is another one, uh, and Shirley MacLaine, uh, I think became a big part, and also Liza Minnelli, who he worked with early on in her career, and, and she, actually, I think it's through Bob Fosse that I became I came to appreciate Liza Minnelli completely differently. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't um, remember when I was young, I always thought of her so hokey and. Yeah. Uh, maybe it took like her cameo on Arrested Development yeah. or something for me to go back down the, you know, the sort of um, the trail of her career. And then I ended up prior to mm. recording this, watching her performance of Mine Hair and Cabaret. Mm. And my God, yeah. like amazing. She's she's delivering the whole first part of it from a ladder. Um, she's halfway up a ladder. uh then partway through the introduction, she's got her leg extended completely behind her. So now she's in heels on a ladder delivering this amazing... I mean, it would have been amazing if she just stood flat-footed in the center of the stage and delivered that performance. But, you know, yeah. she was doing it in this incredibly precarious position. Also remarkable yeah. about... Also... Um, about watching a lot of these choreography numbers, how many people were in heels and how yeah. high the heels yeah. were. And and just the way that, like, when you watch them, that movement is not natural, not the way your body wants to move when you're yeah. wearing heels. Did you, um, I guess, you, have you seen Liza with a Z ever? No. It's a TV special he no. did. After Cabaret, he was so taken with her talent that he basically designed this whole TV special as a showcase of her talents. Um, and so, in that, so in 1973, Cabaret came out, Lies with a Z came out, and he won O Tony for Pippin. So in that year, he won Best Director for Cabaret. He beat out Francis Ford for the Bob, for the Godfather. 
he got the Emmy for Lies with a Z, and he got a Tony for Pippin. I wonder if you really, really felt that imposter syndrome that year. <laughs> well, yeah. like, I just well, like, Francis Ford Coppola. Well, like you know, in the in Watson's book, um, it seems like every time he won an award, he was just thinking, like, "Well, I'm going to lose the next one. It's going to be really embarrassing." But he just mm-hmm. kept winning them. Uh, I, I'm leaning heavily on Sam Watson's biography, but uh, I've got two others that I haven't read yet. So. Well, so I came across an interview yeah. in Vanity Fair with Sam Watson that helped me maybe understand, maybe, maybe not, a little bit of the psychology behind mm-hmm. all of these slinky, devilish women that are like a constant mm-hmm. in his, um, and then the way sort of in his, in his, uh, ethos, uh, sex was like a double-edged sword. It was something he craved, but also something that was terrifying to him. And, uh, so I'll just read part of it. This is, uh, Bruce Handy of Vanity Fair talking with Sam Wasson, uh, who wrote Fosse, the, the biography of, of Bob Fosse. And they're talking about Fosse's hypersexualized choreography. And Wasson says, you're traumatized by it. And he worked from that place. I mean, you think about those women in cabaret. You think about almost any woman in a Fosse film. Any woman is sexy and scary. That's what gives those numbers their power. That, to me, is the 13-year-old boy in Fosse, scared of sex and drawn to it, which is really how he felt about show business. I want this thing, but it's killing me. It's corruption he's talking about. He felt he himself was corrupted and that these movies are about corruption. That's his contribution to American pop culture ideology, that idea of it's all a show, not in a happy MGM way, but as in it's all bullshit. We're performing. Nixon is performing. The 70s were an era of disguises, new identities, shifting facades, this kind of dark side to the Warhol idea of celebrity. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. That was interesting to me to yeah. find this is interviews from 2013 and to think of somebody who in the sixties and seventies was already thinking about, um, these ideas of performing that are still very, uh, pervasive, even in mm-hmm. political conversation now, even when we talk about yeah. like the president. Yeah. And in bought in Fosse's, um, in Fosse's case, you know, he started dancing very young. He started taking dancing lessons very young. He was born in 1927, and he would perform in burlesque calls. Um, and one of the things that's depicted in all that jazz is there are these flashbacks, and one of them is uh, the character uh, Joe Gideon as a child performing in one of these burlesque calls and being molested by the adult women who were dancing there. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was taken directly from Fosse's own life. And so that was something that he never, I don't think he ever really fully processed it, uh, until later in life when he realized that that was a bad thing that happened. I, I mean, again, going back to the Watson book, you know, the, the impression that you get is that he was always in therapy. He was always trying to work out his issues. Um, and that was something that shaped his his outlook, I think, for his whole life. Sure. But most people don't take that therapy work and work it out in a film. Yes. Literally. Well, most people <laughs> don't get the opportunity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so... You want to talk about all that jazz? Let's talk about yeah. all that jazz. So, all, it's been compared to uh, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, which is fair because uh, not only did, which is fair because um, it does borrow the structure from that film. You know, it's about someone who's a creative working on a project, uh, maybe is facing a little bit of a mental block, uh, and then it has this flashback structure where it goes back to their childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, personally. I think that's kind of where the comparison ends is sort of the structural borrowing. 
But when he conceived of this project, he'd been trying to adapt a book called, um, oh, oh, I forget what it was called. Not Awakenings, because that's a Robin Williams movie. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, he was trying to adapt, a, it was a book about a woman who had lost her husband and was sort of coping with his death. Um, and he couldn't make it work. And then he had a stroke. And then he was hospitalized. And he had open heart surgery. And then he had another stroke while he was in the hospital recovering. Uh, and at that point, he started to sort of figure out how he could talk about sort of the same themes of the book, only making it more about his own experiences. And that was sort of the birth of all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you also see in the film, it depicts him, the, the, the character of Joe Gideon that is based off of Bob Fosse is simultaneously trying to choreograph a show. And that is, I think it's supposed to be loosely uh, a riff on Chicago, which he was working on at the time. And uh, he, the character is also trying to make a film about a stand-up comedian. And of course, Bob Fosse directed a, a film called Lenny about the comedian Lenny Bruce. And so it's sort of playing with these things that actually happen and sort of processing sort of uh, uh, his own experience of working on those things and trying to balance his personal life and work mm-hmm. yeah. and the stress of all of that. And, uh, and I don't, I talk, so when I watched it again, I watched it with Benji because I knew he'd be out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't, I think he appreciated going into it with as little knowledge as possible. So I don't want to talk too much about it uh, specifically in terms of plot. But I personally wish I now, in retrospect, uh, preparing for this podcast, wish that I did not know yeah. what the last scene was. Oh yeah, so the last scene is so great. Yeah, we should not. We no should spoilers. not watch it. Do not go on YouTube and watch the, no, the last scene. Don't. Uh, it's great. I I love it. Um, yeah, Joe Gideon played by Roy Scheider, um, and, and it's so you know Fosse had three wives, and they all contributed something to him. Uh, I think um, his first wife, Marianne Niles, was also a dancer who oddly died around the same time, around nineteen eighty seven, mm. um, around the same age as he did. His second wife was a woman named Joe McCracken, who was a dancer, and uh, she died fairly young, around 40 or so, but after they had divorced. And he says that from her, he got his ambition, because he had he's, he said he had no ambitions, and he was content to be like a night hall dancer. But she did something unusual for you, didn't she? She sure did. Uh, she was the biggest influence in my life, and changed my life radically. Things out of uh, she was one of, She made me stop. I, my ambition was to be a nightclub dance act, telling a few jokes, you know, I mean, that's as far as I wanted to think. And she just said, you've got to stop, you're better than that, you got to go to school. So I went back, stopped performing, and got myself a bicycle in New York, and pedaled around from class to class. I studied writing, and diction, and acting, and singing, and eight different kinds of dancing, and I benefited from that, that year more than anything else in the world. Plus, she was a very supportive woman, and she was a, a brilliant talent herself. I think Gwen Vernon, who he said was a better dancer than he was, and she probably was, and like she could sort of get the moves and, and execute the moves better than he could describe them. Uh, and, you know, several of the projects that he worked on, he did for her. And even after they separated, he would choreograph numbers that she would do in like these late night talk shows and things. And um, there's a character in the in all that jazz that is played by Leland Palmer that is based off of Gwen Vernon. Um, and then Anne Rean King is in the film playing sort of a version of herself. Um, and it also depicts his relationship with his daughter. And so, like, there are these women all over it. But Fosse himself is, um, is sort of strange. It, the Wasson book, to me, verges into gossip at times because it focuses on how unfaithful he was, which is fair. 
but it, it sometimes seems like it dwells on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wonder how he would be perceived today in the era of Me Too and Les Moonves and, and all of these things that are happening today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I found myself um, when I when I was watching sort of the so I watched the opening scene where he's looking mm-hmm. in the mirror and that's sort of famous we can we can definitely mm-hmm. talk about that he's sort of had on this daily diet of um uh, like alka-seltzer mm-hmm. and, and like dexedrine dexedrine mm-hmm. yeah yeah um I love the way that it's it's filmed in such a gritty way that like so not only is it just sweaty because it's like the disco era and there are dancers but it's it's like you can see the beads of sweat on his face always yes. and yeah. they're ever present and uh the, there's there's like sort of a real gruesome quality yeah. to the way that he his character operates through and he, he's he's you know in poor health yes he also smokes all the time which mm-hmm. is also true to Fosse. there are stories about how he would have a cigarette in his mouth and forget about it and then it would burn down to the very end and it like you know Someone in the in the rehearsal hall would just notice and like pull it out before it burned him, uh-huh. and he was burned several times apparently this way. There's a scene where he's in the shower. He forgets yes. that he's yes. smoking in the shower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, this, is this is this You don't see many movies these days where people smoke as much as they do in this film. Mm-hmm. There's lots of cigarette smoke. Yeah. So, uh, anything else we need to talk about about all that jazz? Um, just that it's great. Everyone should come out and see it. Uh, it is fantastic. Um, and then tell me, tell me afterwards how much you love it. All right. Yeah. Sounds great. 7 p.m. Uh, this coming Tuesday at Riverdale Ten Cinema. Join us for Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Thanks for listening. This has been No Small Talk, and we'll be back next week. Yeah. Service, 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 service.